Tonight we're in Romans chapter 13, and in our last session with the Corps last week, Wednesday, I again close by reminding you that this whole section deals with the believer living with renewed mind love without hypocrisy, which is the fulfilling of all requirements. And tonight, Romans 13, 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The believer living with renewed mind, love without hypocrisy, being the fulfillment of all requirements, has to take a person sooner or later to 1 Corinthians 13. The greatest and the most beautiful presentation of God's word that has ever been penned in all the history of the world regarding this love without hypocrisy which is the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation. And as I told you last week, there is this word agape or agapeo, the noun or the verb. And here in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, we read, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation, which is love, without hypocrisy, I am become a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. If he does not have the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation, namely love without hypocrisy, that man, I am become, that man is nothing but sounding brass and a tingling cymbal. And though I have prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all believing pistis so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation, love without hypocrisy, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, give everything away, even if I would give my body to be totally burned, that doesn't mean physical, but give all of your body to serve him. But if I do not have charity, which is the love of God in renewed mind in manifestation, love without hypocrisy, it profits me nothing. And Cora, I've taught you many, many times that when you're walking for God and in your life, it must first of all profit you. It always does. You get saved first before you get anybody else saved. You love first before you can expect others to love you. It profits me nothing. God always blesses the individual first. Then comes this great fourth verse. The love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation suffereth long and is kind. Love without hypocrisy envieth not. Love of God in the renewed mind without hypocrisy vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up egotistical. Verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly. 
seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. And finally in that verse, thinketh no evil. That is love of God in the renewed mind. That you come to the place in your life that you do not think evil. Verse 6, this love of God in the renewed mind, in manifestation, which is love without hypocrisy, does not rejoice, rejoices not in iniquity, but that rejoices in the what? And time and time again, how your hearts thrill, how they effervesce, how they glow, whenever the greatness of God's word as truth lives for you, is taught to you and blesses your heart and life. Verse 7, this love without hypocrisy, the fulfillment of all requirements, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And that verse again relates itself specifically to that which is promised in the word or stated in the word that we are to bear, what we are to believe, what we are to hope for, what we are to endure. And verse 8, the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation, love without hypocrisy, the fulfilling of all requirements does what? It never faileth. And core, if it never fails, then it what? That's right. In Romans 13, look at verse 11 right again. And that, just having finished verse 10, love is the fulfilling of the law, the fulfilling of all requirements, remember? Fulfilling of the law, verse 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. A literal translation according to usage of this tremendous 11th verse would read, and right now you must be fully aware of the immediacy of the moment there dare be no delay. You must awake at once out of your spiritual lethargy, your hypnotic soul slumber. To live with renewed mind love without hypocrisy. For at this moment, right now, is our wholeness with the return of Christ, the imminent event we are looking for. Once more, and right now, you must be fully aware of the immediacy of the moment. There dare be no delay. You must awake at once out of your spiritual lethargy, your hypnotic soul slumber, 
to live with renewed mind love, without hypocrisy. For at this moment, right now, is our wholeness. With the return of Christ, the imminent event we are looking for. That's the great 11th verse. Jesus Christ came that we might be made whole. That word whole, salvation, wholeness is the word so-so, meaning mentally, physically, spiritually, and every other way whole. But that wholeness is not completely arrived at until with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word time in verse 11 is the word season, meaning a whole era, the words high time of verse 11. Mean hour, H-O-U-R. And the word now, for now is our salvation near. The word now is the immediate moment. So in that one verse, you have a time, the whole era. Then you have the hour. Then you have the immediate moment. In Matthew 23, thinking along the line of what I've just given you in literal translation, and how right now we have to be fully aware there dare be no delay. You must awake at once out of your spiritual lethargy, hypnotic soul slumber. That's the only soul sleep there is in the word. Matthew 23, 36 is a wonderful record where Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. In Romans 13, verse 12, we read in King James, The night is what? Far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. A literal translation according to you, Sage, is as follows. Our alienation from Christ because he has not returned is about over with. For the day of Christ's return to gather his saints to himself is just momentary. Therefore, make an immediate and complete decision 
to put on in your renewed mind love without hypocrisy, which is the spiritual weapon that dispels all darkness. I shall read it again. Our alienation from Christ, because he has not returned, is about over with. For the day of Christ's return to gather his saints to himself is just momentary. Therefore, make an immediate and complete decision to put on in your renewed mind love without hypocrisy, which is the spiritual weapon that dispels all darkness. Verse 13, King James reads, Let us walk honestly as in what? The day. Walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantedness, not in strife and what? Envying. Right. A literal translation according to usage of this verse is, so walk with the love of God without hypocrisy. So walk with the love of God without hypocrisy as sons and children of light, which is becoming to believers walking in the light of God's love and word. No longer living where you, by your manner of life, once lived in. I'll take you that far again and then finish the verse for you because it becomes increasingly more interesting. So walk with the love of God, without hypocrisy, as sons and children of light, which is becoming to believers, walking in the light of God's love and word, no longer living where you, by your manner of life, you could put in there by your former manner of life, but you don't need it. Your understanding should bring that to your mind. No longer living where you, by your manner of life, once lived. Once lived is the former one. In cruising. You know, cruising. That's the word. Ah, you didn't know it was in a word? Some of you must have heard it in life, haven't you? <laughs> the Greek word is K-O-M-O-S. It is also translated reveling. But reveling does not communicate to you, kids. Cruising does. And that is its meaning. The word komos. Told you it got more interesting, didn't it? Where you, by your manner of life, once lived in cruising, 
Second one, getting drunk. Chamberings is jumping in the sack. Wantonness is satisfying your lust. Strife is and quarreling with a burning jealousy. That's the literal. Once more, in cruising, getting drunk, jumping in the sack, satisfying your lust, and quarreling with a burning jealousy. But, we go to verse 14. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. And remember, we're dealing with the love of God in the renewed mind and manifestation, love without what? Hypocrisy. A literal translation of verse 14 would be as follows. But you as a believer, living with renewed mind love without hypocrisy, will put on the Lord Jesus Christ in your lifestyle so you will no longer spend your time fantasying, daydreaming, or giving any forethought to taking advantage of anyone to fulfill your desires, but your mental action by the freedom of your will has become your heart style of love. Once more, you as a believer, living with renewed mind love, without hypocrisy, will put on the Lord Jesus Christ in your lifestyle so you will no longer spend your time fantasying, daydreaming, or giving any forethought to taking advantage of anyone to fulfill your desires, but your mental action by the freedom of your will has become your heart style of love. Just sit back for a moment and let me read you all of these verses from this literal and you'll get the full impact of it when I put it all together here in the package. Remembering that verse 10 that we closed with last week taught us that love is absolutely the fulfilling of all law, of all requirements. And having read to you 1 Corinthians 13 tonight, here is verse 11 from Romans 13. And right now, you must be fully aware of the immediacy of the moment. There dare be no delay 
you must awake at once out of your spiritual lethargy, your hypnotic soul slumber, to live with renewed mind love without hypocrisy. For at this moment, right now, is our wholeness with the return of Christ, the imminent event we are looking for, our alienation from Christ, because he has not returned, is about over with. For the day of Christ's return to gather his saints to himself is just momentary. Therefore, make an immediate and complete decision to put on in your renewed mind love without hypocrisy, which is the spiritual weapon that dispels all darkness. So walk with the love of God without hypocrisy as sons and children of light, which is becoming to believers walking in the light of God's love and word, no longer living where you, by your manner of life, once lived in cruising, in getting drunk, jumping in the sack, satisfying your lust, and quarreling with a burning jealousy. But you as a believer, living with renewed mind love without hypocrisy, will put on the Lord Jesus Christ in your lifestyle so you will no longer spend your time fantasizing, daydreaming, or giving any forethought to taking advantage of anyone to fulfill your desires. But your mental action, by the freedom of your will, has become your heart style of love. Romans 14.1 says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Here we're still dealing with believers living with renewed mind love, which is without hypocrisy. There are two great biblical principles that must be considered, and they have to govern all decisions regarding your relationship with another believer. Number one, the effect on the mind. And number two, the motive behind the action involved. In the core, we have the great statement, it is written, that's core. In my mind and in my heart, the whole Bible is written. Just because one verse does not say it is written, that does not invalidate the fact or the truth in my mind that it is written. But the words, it is written, are used 17 times in the book of Romans, and a couple more times in the essence of it, but not just with those words, it is written. But it's used in 1411. For it is written, 1411, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, 
and every tongue shall confess to God, and every one of us shall give an account of himself to whom? Okay. In 15, it's used in verse 3, in verse 9, and in verse 21. And if you want the other places where it's written, I'll give them to you. Romans 12, 19, 11, 8 and 26, chapter 10, 5 and 15, chapter 9, 13 and 33, chapter 8, 36, chapter 4, 17, verse 23, chapter 3, verses 4 and 10, chapter 2, verse 24, and chapter 1, verse 17, which is that great one, and the just shall live by believing. That's where it starts. It is written, the just shall live. 117. The word weak. In verse 1 of chapter 14, the word weak has a number of connotations in your mind. I think when somebody would say to me, well, that individual is weak, one of the things I would have in mind is lacking strength, he is sick, he is hurt or something. I want to check this word weak in Bollinger's analytical. It's on page 861. There are three words given per week here in Bollinger's a critical lexicon and concordance. The word that's used in Romans 14.1 is the word that's spelled in Greek, A-S-T-H-E-N-E, long O. That in Bollinger is the second word given under week. The other word is the word A-S-T-H-E-N, long E-S. You can immediately see that these two are very closely related. The third word that he gives is the word A-D-U-N-A-T-O-S, adunatos. Now, immediately, dunatos will tell me that the word dynamis, dynamic, all of those will come off of that word. So uh, that's not the one or its definition, as Bollinger has in here, would not affect me in the word that I'm studying from 14th chapter, verse 1, the word weak. But I would see those first two usages. Asthenes, he says, number one usage, without strength, infirm, feeble, weak, hence sick, 
wanting strength or power. Number two, to be weak or ill, example, be usually so, to be feeble. Not a one of the words that he uses in here would satisfy my heart in the light of the context in which we're working. For we have just finished verse 14 of chapter 13, talking about the renewed mind putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and not to make provisions for the flesh, having a heart style of love. Therefore, him that is weak in the faith, weak, sick, without strength, infirm, feeble, wanting strength or power. You see, none of that stuff really fits. And you have to realize it's like a dictionary. That is a man's opinion of what he has concluded the usual usage of a word and its meaning is. Likewise, in concordances, like Bollinger's, this is his conclusion. Bollinger never said he's completely right on everything, but he's fantastic. But we need to go deeper than this, and it's possible to do that. But that is Bollinger. Oh, by the way, I checked then down further. It says, be weak, be made weak. And this is from Romans 14, 21, which is omitted by uh, Greisbaugh and Tregellis and some of them. And then weak things. Always check all these things. Now he gets to weakness in the second column on page 861. And he has A-S-T-H-E-N-E-I-A, same basic root. Want of strength, infirmity, weakness, feebleness. And that's the end of all the usages of weak or different, you know, adjectives, nouns, verbs, so forth of it. So, I put Bollinger away. Then I'll take a look at the analytical Greek lexicon, and on page 55, you will find this word in the second column. It gives it then as asthenes, and then the different endings. And he says, without strength, weak, infirm, helpless, imperfect, inefficient. Now, that word inefficient triggers things in my mind. There has to be a reason why a man would be inefficient. It could be due to the fact that he is immature, not fully enough schooled, not fully enough trained, when a man is inefficient as a painter, for instance, does not mean that he might not 
know about painting or have heard about painting, but he just is a young painter. He's just is just starting in the field, so to speak, and he's not yet matured. Same in carpentry or any other field. So I keep looking through and I just read everything that's written in in this here section. And he gets down further in, he uses it again to be inefficient. Then he uses the word hesitate. Hesitate. That triggers a thing in my mind. What causes a man, man to hesitate at times is his immaturity. He really does not know exactly how to do that. He hesitates. Unsettled is another word in here. Unsettled. Unsettled again triggers. He's unsettled because he is not sure of himself. When you're not sure of yourself, you'll always be unsettled. That's from the analytical. Then I may go to Thayer's Greek-English lexicon and check this word out. And on page 80, you'll find it in Thayer's. It says rhetorically, first column, bottom of the page, first column, page 80, Thayer says, rhetorically, of one who purposely abstains from the use of his strength. Then he stipulates to be doubtful about things lawful and unlawful to a Christian, Romans 14.1. Simple as the name with the same idea suggested in Romans 14.2 and 21. Keep going to the next column where I checked the words and I got down to this statement in here where he says, wanting in manliness and dignity. And I thought, boy, that's sort of neat triggers my mind. He's wanting in manliness. He is a man, but he's still wanting. He hasn't come to the maturity of it. And then he uses wanting in decision. Wanting in decision. He has not reached the maturity where he is sure of making a proper decision. And when you work it like this, then you realize that that word weak in chapter 14, verse 1, could for our day and time at least, for my understanding, and I believe yours, be much better translated if we said immature. Immature in believing. It's not that he's not a believer, but he is still what? Immature. He is maturing, but he is still immature, but he is maturing in believing. 
That would be renewed mind believing according to what? The word. Now that one who is immature in believing, receive ye. The word receive is the Greek word proslambano, P-R-O-S-L-A-M-B-A-N-O. The pros, you know, is a preposition, a prefix of the word lambano here. Whenever you run into those words, you've got to look them up. You've got to know. You can take a Bollinger critical lexicon concordance. You can look up the word with, for instance, the preposition with, page 888. And here he gives you all 15 of them, 888 and 89, different Greek words that are translated with. One of those is the P-R-O-S, pros. It's number five, first column on 888. And it gives it with the genitive, with the dative, and with the accusative. But it's real interesting that he says in here, the idea of something imparted in favor of as a motive, as a motive, that's fantastic, a motive. You see, I just look up this word pros, and you see, I know it's a with. If you, if you don't like that, you can look up to, T-O, and you'll find that on page 808, still preposition, you know. The third one is the word P-R-O-S, pros. And again, he states, in hither, hither words, in favor of, in consideration of, as a motive, a motive, with, with the idea of a motive, to, with the idea of a motive. And a motive is something you got in your mind, a motive. What's the motive? I ought to show you the word receive, Lambano, from Bollinger's Concordance on page 626 of Bollinger's Concordance here. I've explained this before in a foundational class once upon a time. He has number one, Lambano. And then number seven is Decomai. There are 18 different words or usages of words for the word receive in the New Testament. But the one we're concerned with, of course, is here is Lambano. But you'll never understand Lambano if you don't understand Decomai. But even Bollinger gives you a clue to it. Lambano, he says, receive, pointing to an objective reception. 
while decomine number seven is a subjective reception. This is on page 626. Welsh in the Just and the Justifier on page 304. In the second paragraph, makes this observation about the word proslambano. Welsh says it is proslambano, but this is very good. Where he says, occurs 14 times in the New Testament, this is proslambano. The only occurrences in the epistles apart from those in Romans, are found in Philemon. The two references indicate very clearly the personal character of the word. Thou therefore receive him, this Philemon, verse 12, thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels. That wasn't a re subjective reception Paul receiving what he was receiving, you take him out there like as if it's me, my own bowels. You receive him as my own bowels, proslambano. And in Philemon verse 17, if thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself, proslambano. We get further light on the meaning of the word from its occurrences in Acts. Acts 18.26. We read of Aquila and Priscilla taking Apollos unto them. Now, they didn't take Apollos unto them in their physical self. They brought him in the house with them. In chapter 27, Acts 27, 34. The apostle exhorts and the famished sailors to take some meat. Eat it. In 28, verse 2, we read of the kindness of the inhabitants of Malta who kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. All of these passages indicate something of the intimate character of the reception enjoined by the apostle. In John 1.12, the word is lambano, as many as received him, lambanoed him, while in the previous verse, his own lambanoed him not. And there it is, Paralambano. And the paralambano is used in Colossians 2 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. When we think of all the petty things that prevent the reception of the believer by other believers, we should be humbled as we remember that the Lord himself made himself of no reputation 
and took upon himself sum para lambano, the form of a slave. Philippians 2.7 We are exhorted in the context of this same passage that this mind should be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Each believer has received the reconciliations, Romans 5.11, and if each of us is reconciled to God, surely there should be free reception of one another as Christ also received us. Every believer has received the spirit of sonship whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Romans 8.15, and it would surely be strange if those who call upon the same Heavenly Father should be unwilling to receive one another. It is obvious, however, that fellowship with other believers must have some sort of touchstone and must rest upon something more than a personal feeling. The basis of all true reception is that Christ has received the other believer to the glory of God and that this too must regulate our attitude. At this point, however, a difficulty arises. It's not given to any of us to know the heart of another, for that belongs to the Lord alone. We can therefore only act according to the evidences, and we must consider what these necessary evidences must be. In 2 John 9 and 10 we read, Whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. No amount of Christian charity can alter the force of this passage. Christ is the touchstone of all doctrine and practice. We receive as he received. We receive those whom he has received, and we cannot receive those who do not receive him. It is sadly possible to preach another Jesus, and those who have been taught to honor the Son even as they honor the Father cannot accept those whose estimate of Christ does not accord him this honor. It must, however, be kept in mind that John deals with the reception of teachers, whereas Paul is dealing with the reception of believers. Both the word weak and the next words, receive ye, but him that is immature, weak in the faith, receive ye, both the word weak and the word receive are in the present continuous tense of the verb. And that tells me that this immaturity is not an inherent characteristic. He wasn't born stupid to stay stupid. 
It's not an inherent characteristic. It's not physiological, but a condition. It's outward, due to teaching. The word received, proslambano, and the word weak are both, as I said, present continuous tense of the verb. Now the words, doubtful disputations of verse 1. The word doubtful is the Greek word diakrisis, D-I-A-K-R-I-S-I-S. Again, the preposition, dia, meaning because of or for the sake of. K-R-I-S-I-S is transliterated into our Greek English word of crisis. In 1 Corinthians 12, remember, where it says, discerning of spirits, that's this word. In Hebrews 5.14 is the other usage, where it says we are we, we discern good and evil. That's the word doubtful. A crisis situation or critical situation. On page 306, discussing this word, Diacrino, Welsh says, perhaps the passage that is most important in view of the problems discussed in Romans 14 is that which records Peter's words after he had received the vision of the great sheet filled with all manner of beasts and creeping things and had been exhorted to slay and eat. Remember, it says, for nothing is common or unclean. The vision is recorded in Acts 10 and is the basis of the apostles' appeal for love in Acts 15. Quote, put no difference between us and them purifying their hearts by faith, believing. That's Acts 15, 9. These words were spoken in Paul's own hearing, for he was himself at the Jerusalem gathering, and he could scarcely have written Romans 14, 1 without remembering this critical occasion. I think Romans 14, 1 is in the light of the truth of that statement that was made in Jerusalem. The word disputations is the Greek word 
Dia Logizmon, spelled D-I-A, L-O-G-I-S, M, long O, N. Again, the preposition dia, because of or for the sake of, you have to drop off. Then you're back to logismon, logistics. Ever heard of that one in math? Or heard of the word logic? Ever heard of the word logos? The word of God is logical. Its, Its logistics are perfect. That's why the word logic or logismon or logizomai, all of these words, even though they relate to logic, will relate themselves to the word word, logos. It's going to be related in its root forms to that word logos, word. The word is logical. The word is reasonable. Paul reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Old Testament said, come let us reason together. It's logical. The word, logos, is logical. In this analytical Greek lexicon, you look up this word, you'll find it on page 93. I just picked out a few things in here, and I've gone back to the root form of dialogizomai, column one. To make a settlement of accounts, to reason, deliberate, ponder, consider, see, logic. I can understand this. It's beautiful. You deliberate logically. You reason logically. You ponder logically. You consider logically. Then it has the word thought. Purpose. So forth. That's the way it's given, or some of the words that are given in that analytical. In Thayer's, on page 139, you will also find this word. On page 138, you will find the word uh, diacrino, which we had earlier. Did I go to Thayer's a while ago and show you that? On on uh, on uh, diacrino? Did I hit that in Thayer's? Well, hit it now. Diacrino is on page 138, second column. He says, to be separated, to separate, make a distinction, discriminate, critic or crisis. 
to withdraw from one, desert him. Then on column two on page 139 in this Dialogismos, he says, the thinking of a man, deliberating, a thought inward, then he uses the word reasoning. Not to doubtful disputations. Doubtful, diacrisis, disputations, dialogismon. Not to doubtful reasonings. The shortest translation I know after you work the integrity and accuracy of the word here in 14.1 is, but he who is immature in believing, you receive but not to critical reasonings. Now, I just want you to sit and listen and let me read to you an extensive, literal according to usage, putting together now from our knowledge of verse 14 of the last chapter 13, first verse of 14, and putting these all together, I'll just read it to you. After I get through reading it to you, I'll do it again and you can write it down if you want to. But now I just want you to sit and enjoy it with all this in-depth stuff we've done on it. It's really simple has beautiful heart in it. And here it is. The believer who is yet, because of his spiritual youthfulness, immature in renewed mind believing, your motive must be one, evidencing your renewed mind, love and believing without hypocrisy, and certainly not to be a critic and tend to bring on a crisis by causing that young, immature believer to think within himself all kinds of doubts, negatives, and feel condemned. That is Romans 14.1. Shall we do it again? <laughs> <laughs> The believer who is yet, comma, because of his spiritual youthfulness, comma, that's a phrase, you know, in there, immature. In renewed mind believing. Your motive must be one evidencing 
lambanoing, evidencing your renewed mind love and believing without hypocrisy. And certainly not to be a critic diacrisis and tend to bring on a crisis by causing that young immature believer to think within himself all kinds of doubts negatives and feel condemned now just think for a moment again how beautiful that really is because here you are more mature as core certainly not to be a critic of that more immature person than you are, you're not going to be a critic because you don't want to bring on a crisis in that person's life. Because if you're going to be a critic of him, of that young immature believer, you're going to make him think of himself with all kinds of doubts, He'll get negative, and then he'll feel condemned, not being as mature as you are telling him he ought to be. And that is not the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation without hypocrisy. That, I think, is Romans 14.1.